Our scripture, take, our scripture reading is taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Paul wrote, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you will be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, Stephanus Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of God. Children, you may be dismissed for children's connect kids. Just so you know, Marion asked me if it was okay if he did a little dancing in the aisle and walked out with the kids. But I did say he needed to check with his wife first, so. <laughs> in my last years before I began working full-time here at Bethesda, I was a, a trainer. Some of you know that, but I, I wasn't the trainer that you meet in the gym. I was a, a corporate trainer, and, and I thought that sounded kind of impressive, even if it wasn't. But one of the things I enjoyed the most about being a trainer in an office setting was teaching managers how to manage. And I will tell you, there are times when it is a whole lot more fun to teach somebody how to manage than it actually is to manage people. Now, before I trained managers, I, I was a, manage, a manager, and my company would periodically send us to these management workshops to help us improve. The workshops were generally good, but back then it was mostly common sense. We didn't have to worry about hurting people's fee feelings or damaging their ego, and I would guess that managing in the corporate world today is a lot more difficult because you have to be a lot more careful about what you say and, and what you don't say. Anyway, though, I remember one workshop that I attended concerned handling conflict and delivering a tough performance appraisal. Uh, both of those were areas where I honestly wasn't great, but I did my best. And that's probably why I remember this workshop. I had a, ma a manager myself, tell, my manager, tell me once I was too nice when I delivered bad news. You see, I'm, I'm one of those people that'll, that'll put up with a, a lot I will gently correct and encourage, and I'll be very nice until I'm not. And then I'm really not nice. So I'm kind of like a, a volcano. You know, the, the pressure builds. You don't see much of anything going on outside until it explodes. 
And when it explodes, it's not pretty. It spews, it's messy. But the point does get across. And in my case, usually after that eruption, I often felt guilty. And so, having shared some of my management shortcomings, here are a few things that I remember from those days of those workshops and being a manager about delivering a difficult message to an employee. And first thing is they told us, they said, always begin with something positive. You know, you want to put the employee at ease. You want them to know that you really care about them as a person. Talk about some of the, the good things that they've done. For example, you might say, you know what, Sally, you are so friendly. You love to talk to people. In fact, I've actually seen you spend eight hours just talking to people about non-related work. Now, by the way, I have to tell you, I am all about small talk at work. I think it's important. We talk a lot at church, in, this, in the office of church, because we enjoy working together. But in that small talk, we get a lot of business done. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of ideas shared. There's a lot of progress that's made. The second thing I learned is never use the word but. Don't use the word but when you are transitioning from the good news to the bad news, like, Tom, you did a good job, but... See, but is a trigger, trigger word that can easily put a person on the defense. Number three, be calm. Be careful about raising your voice. Here's an example. Joe, you know, if, if you don't improve, we might have to let you go. And you are so close to keeping your job. <laughs> Number four. Be gentle but firm. Now, this is always a del delicate balance. If you're too gentle, the employee doesn't take the, the tough message seriously. But if you're too firm, the employee just thinks you're being a jerk. And then finally, my number five is one that caught me by surprise. Think about what you wear. It came up during one of these workshops in a role play. The person playing a manager in a tough performance appraisal came in wearing a bold red dress. And the instruction, instructor said, red is not a good color. Red reflects your harsh attitude toward the employee. I have to admit, I still don't quite understand that. But after that, I never wore a red dress to an performance appraisal. <laughs> but being a manager of people is great if you have great people. And it's tough when you have to deal with employees who struggle. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your unconditional love. We realize that we can test your patience. When you correct us, you do it perfectly. It might not be comfortable at the time, but we know your love is for us and that you are trying to help us. Father, we also know that whenever you put a people of, group of people together, it's tough. Sinful people cause problems, and every one of us is sinful. This morning, we ask you to be with each one of us. We ask you to be with this church. Help us to live together in harmony and united in purpose. Guide us to be peacemakers while standing firm on the truth. And teach us today. Open our hearts and minds to grow, to be more like Jesus. May we grow together to serve others and to glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Today we're starting a, a study of 1 Corinthians, and we'll take roughly 16 weeks to go through Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. And that means we're going to cover about one chapter a week. But that also means that we're not going to be able to speak to every single verse in that chapter. And so I would encourage that when you leave here this morning and in future weeks, that you read along with us. And so, of course, this week, go ahead and read chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. And the title of this series is called Together. See, as a church, we worship and serve the Lord together. The church at Corinth, where Paul wrote this letter, was planted by Paul and Priscilla and Aquila. And Paul cared deeply about this church. In fact, he wrote three letters to them. Now, unfortunately, one of those letters is unknown. It's not in the Bible. It was mentioned, though, in First. issues. First and foremost, they were divided. And it shows you how some things never change. Division is something so many churches have faced and that they continue to face. Corinth also did have other issues. Those issues included divisions over the preachers, um, issues with sexual immorality, marriage, and how to conduct corporate worship. And many of the problems in this church stem from an arrogance and a spirit of one-upmanship. Now, Corinth was a famous Greek city. It was known for its art. It was known for its wealth and high society and reckless sexuality. It was the hotbed for worship of many, many different gods. Today, you might think of New York City or perhaps Las Vegas. And Paul wrote to this church, to the Christians at Corinth, to encourage unity. Paul called the Corinthians to work together to build up the faith of those who are weak and to effectively share the gospel with unbelievers. Disunity destroys effectiveness. Disunity always destroys effectiveness. And, and unity is the desire for us at this church at Bethesda. I think we are united as a church. We're very united, but we can be even stronger as we grow together in Christ. And so today, our, our main idea from chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians is this. It's when we focus on Jesus, unity becomes a reality. If our eyes are on Jesus, we will experience greater unity as a church. And the same can be said of our families, our work teams, our organizations, and our friends. Now, as I read through the first, uh, first chapter of 1 Corinthians, I realized that Paul could have taught one of those management workshops that I attended years ago. Paul's handling of the church's issues and, and correcting those provides an excellent example of how to manage and how to lead people. You see, Paul began with positive words. He began by thanking God for the grace that God had given the Corinthians in Jesus Christ. He said that they weren't lacking in any, any gifts, and he was speaking of spiritual gifts. He wrote of them being called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. And this was good news. It was the best news that any church could hope to ever hear. And so Paul began by 
assuring the Corinthians. His tone was calm and gentle, but firm. That church did have some serious problems, and yet there was hope. All wasn't lost. In verse 10, Paul began his appeal to the church. He wrote this. He said, I appeal, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul didn't demand that they change. He didn't give them an ultimatum. And yet, though, he didn't ignore their problems. He called them brothers. They were united to Paul through Christ. Paul called them to unity by first offering the Corinthians a, a picture of what unity looks like. That picture consisted of different parts. First, Paul instructed them to try to agree. He literally wanted them to kind of speak the same language in agreement. They could agree on the things that they held in common. You see, when any church or organization or group of people struggle with division, the best place to start is always to talk about the areas where you actually agree. You find common ground. And, and in a Christian church, it, we should be able to agree on who Jesus is what he did for us and his offer of grace to all who declare him Lord and Savior. We agree that our purpose is to love God with everything in us and to love people. And loving people means that we want them to trust their lives to Jesus. In a practical sense, if you go to work, at work we agree on the purpose of our work. It might be sales, it might be manufacturing, it might be production or marketing or quality control or the development of new pro products. That goal, that purpose, unites us. In a family, we're bonded together by blood or marriage or adoption or simply a, a very deep love for each other. God made us a, a family, and he desires that we agree to love and care for each other as a family. In school, you might be on a, a sports team or a music group or a drama group or you might have a group of friends that you just hang with or maybe you've put to, been put together to work together on a project. And even if the people on your team or your group make you crazy, you try to find agreement so that you can maybe win the game or perform well or, or get a good grade. Paul added that there should be no divisions among the Corinthians. They needed to mend fences. Apologies and forgiveness need to be offered and accepted. And I know that asking some, admitting you're wrong and then asking someone for forgiveness is something that can be so hard to do. Last week we talked about humility. And the problem with humility is our pride gets in the way, and our pride in the case of forgiveness makes us not want to admit the possibility that we actually might be wrong. But the fact is, it can also be very hard to forgive. And I think when it comes to that, it's our pride that hits us again. It's easier to stay mad at someone than it is to forgive them. Sometimes we actually want to hold on to that grudge. And so if you mess up and hurt someone... 
Ask them to forgive you. Do it if you don't think you were the only one in the wrong. And if someone sincerely asks you to forgive them, well, forgive them. Do your part to heal a relationship. And then talk. Talk so that you can be united in the same mind and in the same judgment as Paul wrote. See, when there is division, there's often very little conversation. I've been there. And the hardest thing can be to open that door and talk to that person. And the fact is, is that talking to them, it might not solve the problem, but at least it gives you a chance. When we don't talk, it is easier for division to fester. And of course, the last thing I would say about this is it always takes two to mend a broken relationship. And so the picture of unity that Paul painted includes agreement, includes mending fences, and talking things out. Of course, there are always challenges to unity. Never fails, does it? Paul addressed one of those challenges in the next verses. This is what he wrote. He says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? Paul then continued in that passage. He said, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Paul's memory must have been a little like mine. Now, it's interesting in this passage that Chloe's people reported the problem. And the fact that there were Chloe's people it could have been part of the problem. It's believed that Chloe was a prominent businesswoman in that area. and She might have been a person of wealth, a, a person of power. And so naturally, some people were drawn to her. They wanted to be her people. Now, her people were the ones that reported the quarreling factions. And as Paul heard that, he must have been shocked. And my guess is that Chloe's people were one of those quarreling factions, and they were telling on somebody else. Maybe they were just trying to help, though. Maybe they were a faction that was trying to help, but the mere fact, fact that they were a faction didn't help. And it's also interesting to read what they were quarreling about. Some followed Paul, others Apollos, others Cephas, who was likely the disciple Peter. See, the followers of these individuals, Apollos and Paul, were trying to make a name for themselves by who they followed. They were attaining a social position by which team that they were on. Today we might call them name droppers. I mean, you know name droppers. These are the people who try to impress you by the people that they actually know. Now I could tell you that I went to the same high school as John Goodman, the actor. Impressive, but I never knew him. I never even saw him at school because he graduated years before I did. And yet, think about this. I may have actually sat in the same seat that John sat in. <laughs> and it's very likely that I walked the same halls that he did. 
But the only problem with me trying to do that in this crowd is I know some of you also went to high, uh, Afton High School, so you could say the same thing and you're not very impressed. But other people might try and impress us by where they went to college or who they apprenticed under or the company that employs them. Teens, teens, you might try and impress each other by making sure you hang out with the right people. You know, that was a tough thing when I was young, and I, I think it still is today. Back then, we labeled people, and the labels are sure different now. We had groups like the nerds, the jocks, the popular crowd, and the druggies, among a whole bunch of others. And the thing about such thinking is Paul squashed it. He sarcastically asked, he said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And the answer, of course, is no. Paul was showing his readers that they're forming different groups to to elevate themselves by which person they followed was totally ridiculous. You see, they missed the point. They forgot who they really should worship. Jesus. And, And we face similar obstacles in our church today. These obstacles get in the way of our achieving true unity and coming together. And one of those is loyalty. In a church with more than one pastor, people will often choose a favorite. Others change churches to go where the pastor is more famous and more charismatic and more entertaining. Yeah, you know, I have to tell you, someone told me that I was so charismatic. Yeah, they were blowing smoke. Besides, I would take being goofy any day over being charismatic. We don't follow a particular pastor. We follow Jesus Christ. We also have our group of friends. In these groups of friends, we tend not only to hang together, but we end up thinking alike. And that's normal, and that's a great thing. And it's only bad if those groups that hang together seek to create disunity in our church. Another obstacle to our unity can be our preferences. Some like hymns. Some like more contemporary music. Some like gospel music or southern gospel. Some like to have a very formal worship service. Others like things to be more casual. Some want the pastor to wear a robe and to speak from the pulpit. Others might prefer that maybe he wear jeans, a t-shirt, and speak while sitting on a stool. And the problem isn't our preferences. I mean, we all have things we like. We have things we don't like. That's normal. That's okay. It only gets to be a problem when we make our preferences much bigger issue than they really should be. If the church service is praising God, if it's sharing the gospel and presenting the truth, if it's trying to reach people for Jesus Christ and disciple others, then, then does it really matter if the pastor preaches in a tux or shorts? Does it really matter if we have an entire orchestra or maybe a banjo in a washboard? I realize this is tough. We like what we like. I have my preferences. You have your preferences. But one of the reasons that I have grown to really enjoy having one service is that it's blended. It has a little something for everyone. Paul would say, look past your preferences to what is most important. There's a story I heard about a a grandmother who was coming to church with her granddaughter. 
And the church where they were attending, the service was very casual, and they had a really rocking, loud worship band. The music was very contemporary, very upbeat with lots of drums and bass. They had a lot of stage light going on. They probably had smoke coming up. And one day, the, the pastor was talking to this grandmother. And he said, you know, you're here every week. Do you really like the lights and all the loud music that we play? And the grandmother paused, and she thought a moment. And she said, I hate the music. I hate the lights. But you know what? My granddaughter likes it. And when I come to this service, I get to worship God with my granddaughter. And so you know what? I'm going to keep on coming. See, the grandma had it right. The question is, are we focusing on the main thing? You know, sometimes, sometimes we just miss the purpose. We miss the main thing. We come to church just to see our friends. And that's great. It's wonderful. That's part of being together as a church. But it can become just a social gathering. Or we come so that we can tell our family that, hey, I go to church. We, we validate ourselves to our parents or grandparents by, by just showing up. Or we come to church to get whatever we can get out of that church. You know, I, I know somebody that, I've known them for years and I love this person, but she will go to the church that has the best programs because she wants to get as much out and when she gets tired of those programs, she goes to another church that maybe has better programs. And to that I would say, of course, the church is here to take care of its members. But we forget something. Every member should also be ready to help care for another person. We all should be reaching outside of our doors. Some come to church for all the wrong reasons. And like some of us, the Corinthian church missed the purpose. The purpose is Jesus. See, to be called to unity is to know the source of unity. Jesus is the purpose. Jesus is the source of unity. In the last verses of our passage, Paul wrote this. He said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And I love this part. He says, And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. A few verses later, Paul added, he said, We preach Christ crucified, but to those who are called, the power of God and the wisdom of God is what we're preaching. The, the purpose of the Christian church and any Christ, of the Corinthian church and any Christian church is in Christ. Paul focused the Corinthians on the meaning of the cross. Through the cross, Jesus offered forgiveness and salvation. Through Jesus, only through Jesus, comes eternal life. And that is the power of God. And, and I have to tell you, the word there, I don't usually get into the Greek, but the word there that we translate as power is the word uh, dunamis. It's the word we get dynamite from. That's the power that Paul's speaking of. And as we focus on Jesus 
as we focus on him in this church, as we focus him more in our lives, unity will increase. Keeping our eyes on Jesus keeps people closer together. My son Adam played soccer in high school. In his senior year, they had a record of 19 wins and 6 losses. It was a truly great year. And I, I think I've told this story before, but they didn't have any star players. They weren't as talented as the team was the year before them. The teams they played against were often more skilled, and yet they won. And they won a lot. And the reason they won is that they were united as a team. They played together on the field, and they were all friends off the field. The seniors reached out to the underclassmen long before the season ever began. They hung out together. They played volleyball together. They watched out for each other. Basically, they took care of each other. And I bring that up because I think Bethesda Church is a lot like my son's soccer team. We aren't the biggest church, obviously, in terms of numbers. We aren't the biggest church in terms of finances. We certainly don't have a rock star pastor. Our congregation, if you look around, we're generally older. Our building is old, and sadly, it's in constant need of repair. Our location is beautiful, but it's hidden. And yet, this church, this church is a great church. We're united. We together are a family, and that's because we know the source of our unity. Jesus Christ. As long as we focus on Jesus and all we do, we'll find unity. We'll draw closer together. And remember, when we focus on Jesus, unity truly becomes a reality. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this congregation known as Bethesda. Those of us that are here would, could tell countless stories of how we've been blessed to be here by the people here. How they care for each other, how they love each other. Father, I thank you that you gave this church a heart of service that people are willing to do whatever it is, they're willing to pitch in to help. But Father, like the Corinthian church, as is, is wonderful a church that we are here, we could be a better church. We could be better people at work, in our families, with our friends. Sometimes we cause divisions over silly things. Other times we're too stubborn to change. And so as we begin this series, as we look at this ancient church, help us to see ourselves in them. Help us to hear Paul's words of encouragement and challenge and correction that we might strive to be the best church that we can be, that we might strive to be a church that focuses on the main thing, your son. That we might be a church that loves you and loves people and shows that love 
in tangible acts of service. Be with us today. Bring us together tonight at a 